Bibles with you this morning, why don't you open up with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, uh, we're going to finish up chapter 10, and, uh, and on and on we go. Where we stop, only the Lord knows. If you remember last week, we were going through the scriptures. One of the primary things that we really focused on was that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. That the battles that we face in life are spiritual battles. And sometimes we get our eyes focused on the, a person or a thing and we think that's it. And we maybe put our energy carnally in, in our own might, in our own ability to think. And we think somehow we're going to overcome that situation that is before us. But we have failed to recognize that in reality it's a spiritual battle. And there are spiritual battles we, we can't even begin to fathom. I think when we get to heaven and we begin to hear about some of the battles that took place around us, and, and as uh, those angels have, have uh, done the good warfare against Satan and his minions, we're going to be blown away, I think. I think we're going to be blown away by all that the Lord was doing. But as Paul is laying this out to the church at Corinth, there's a reason. And the reason that Paul's laying this out and emphasizing it is because there was a group of teachers that had come in after Paul left. You'll remember in the book of Acts, when Paul was leaving the church at Ephesus, he said, now when I go, savage wolves will come. These kind of people, they never were there for when the church was built or when the blocks were laid, or when the things were done. But after Paul would begin the church, then they would come in behind him. But they had a different attitude. They had an attitude of, of exalting themselves. In fact, Paul would say you would recognize them because they're going to bring disciples after themselves. People will be saying over and over again, wow, this is such a great person. I want to follow him. I want to be like him. And they begin to forget the one we're supposed to be pointing to is Jesus Christ. And so Paul, first he wants them to recognize, say, your battle's not against these guys. First off, it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle that's taking place. But then he wants us to begin to focus and realize, and be able to tell the difference between the sheep and the wolves. Now, wouldn't it be nice if a wolf would just come dressed as a wolf to the church? But they'd be easy to pick off, wouldn't they? So what does Paul say? They're going to come wearing sheep's clothing. So how do we tell someone's a wolf? Pay attention to what they eat. A wolf, they eat other sheep. Sheep, they eat grass. We want to take a look and see what are these guys really about. So as we get to this point, Paul's talking about it in verse 10 of chapter 10. He says, for his letters, they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Now, Paul's talking about what these other teachers were saying about him. You see, they, they say that I write these great letters, but I'm not a very good speaker. And, I, and, and, and what are they looking at? Are they looking at the spiritual things that Paul's doing or are they looking at his flesh and deciding whether or not there's value behind what he's doing. Remember I told you a great description of how Paul looked is Marty Feldman. Look, picture Marty Feldman in your mind when you see Paul talking. And then you're thinking, well, I don't know if I really want to listen to this guy or not. That's why Paul just said, hey, the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal. You don't judge a book by its cover. You judge it by the content. And that was the mistake that was happening in Corinth because they were seeing these teachers and they could speak better than Paul. And they were gathering around themselves all these people who thought they were great. But Paul says, hey, that's not what it's about. What's the message? The message is what really matters. He goes on to say in verse 11, so let such a person consider this, that what we are by word or in word by letters when we are absent such we will also be indeed when we are present. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, they're not wise. What's he saying? They compare themselves with one another. Who are we supposed to be reaching out to be, to be like? The guy sitting next to me in the pew? If I do that, I'm going to think, well, I, you know... 
he was he just got wasted last night. I know he got drunk last night, and here he is at church. I'm better than him. I'm okay. Really? What are we measuring ourselves up to? Jesus Christ. How much like Jesus am I? All of a sudden, the gap gets a little bigger, doesn't it? All of a sudden, when I'm sitting in the pew, I recognize and realize that there's something that God wants to work in my life, in me. And the message is not always for the guy sitting next to me. And yes, I do see wives elbow their husbands when there's something that they need to be listening to. And husbands leaning over and giving that look to their wives when there's something... The, guys, the word of God's not a flashlight. The word of God's a mirror. It speaks to us about issues in our life. And so Paul says, he got these teachers that come in and they're commending themselves and talking about how great and wonderful they are. But their message is a different gospel we're going to see. They're speaking about a different Christ. They're talking about a different anointing of the Holy Spirit. The message is poison. But they look like a sheep. They sound like a sheep, but they're not comparing themselves to Jesus Christ. They're comparing themselves to one another. And Paul wants them to open their eyes. It's not wise to compare yourself to one another. We, however, in verse 13, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God has appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. This is where Paul's talking about, listen, Paul built that church. Where were they then? When the people were were shouting and clamoring for them to be thrown into prison and in bonds, where were these great teachers? They only came after all that hard work was done. So Paul says, the reason I'm writing to you is because you're within our sphere of influence. I mean, remember me, I'm the guy who sweat right next to you. I'm the guy who, who built. It wasn't about making a name for myself or getting my name on a billboard there down, down the middle of Main Street. It was all about pointing the way to Jesus Christ. And you guys are a part of that sphere, a part of what Paul was doing, a part of what Paul continued to want to do. So he goes on and says, for, for we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Hey, the scripture lays out for us that we're to bloom where we're planted. That means God brings you to a place. Maybe God's brought you here to Calvary Chapel Buell. And God wants you to be a part of the body. And being a part of the body means you find the place where you fit. You, you find an area where the gifts that God's given you, you can bless other people. It's not about what can I receive. It's about what can I give. Who can I love on today? Sometimes, every once in a while, folks will say, Well, you know, I, I come to church and nobody gave me a hug and nobody really reached out to me. We need to make sure and realize that people are looking for that from us. But secondly, I need to realize that's why I came. So I could do that for someone else. So I could love on them. So I could show them the love of Jesus Christ that's inside of me. So as Paul lays this out, he's saying, listen, guys, this is, it was you and me for the gospel moving forward. And God gave me that, that position, Paul speaking to the Corinthians, over the flock to protect it, not to lord it over them and to say, well, hey, you know, I'm going to tell you guys what to do, but to say, hey, you got wolves coming in and teaching you things that aren't in God's word. And that's how it starts. The church is, is growing. Somebody comes in with a, a growth program. I know how to make the church grow. And they do all these fancy things with a bunch of multimedia, maybe. They, they, next thing you know, nobody's bringing a Bible. Because they put the words up on the screen. Pretty soon, they're not putting the words up on the screen. or They're putting up a, an outline or whatever the pastor's doing or where the pastor's going. And then the pastor can say anything he wants to say. And who knows where it came from. If we're not sitting there with a the word being Bereans saying, well, that's not what my Bible says. What are you talking about? Paul's telling the church of Corinth, you guys are getting in a dangerous place. You're amassing for yourself teachers that you like to hear that have no message to give. They're entertaining. And hey, I, I like to be entertained too. But is there any meat? You ever sit down for a meal and just eat styrofoam? And think afterwards, wow, that was really good. I'm so full, so tasty. Man, I don't want styrofoam. I want meat. God made me 
a vegetarian. So I eat meat. <laughs> well, how do you get your vegetables? Last I checked, that big old cow is eating all the vegetables he needs. <laughs> all those vegetables go into the cow, and from the cow they come to me. I'm pretty close to a vegan, I think. <laughs> After I eat the cow, I do pick my teeth with a stick. That's, that's part of a vegan meal. I, last I checked, I'm a, I want to eat real meat. But you see, these teachers weren't providing meat, the meat of God's word. It's all fluff. And that's what Paul wants to warn them about. This is what Paul wants to say. Guys, I'm coming to you, but you guys got to be aware. After I leave, these are the kind of guys that come. He says in verse 15, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is another man's labor, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment, but that he who glories, let him glory how? In the Lord. And what were these other guys? They're glorying about one another. They're glorying about each other. What were they on a circuit going through the churches, preaching for money? Folks, we still got people who do that today. They put together some kind of gig. They bounce from church to church to church to church. Some do it like Paul did it. A legitimate ministry outreaching people for Jesus Christ. Others, they do it as a, as a means to an end. And Paul says, we ought to be able to recognize the difference. And we should recognize the difference based on who's getting the glory. Is the Lord getting the glory? Is it pointing to Him? I used to drive down a long, long time ago. My family's, uh, uh, most of my family's very Pentecostal. And so we're driving down the road, and there was a, a fella who's on TV. I won't tell you his name, but he's a wolf. But he's on TV, and <clears throat> maybe I will tell you his name. And as he's going down the freeway, he's having a healing crusade. And who is all over the billboard? Him. Why? Does he have the ability to heal? Not. I had an uncle about that time who was dying of AIDS. And as I shared with him, my family's very Pentecostal. They wanted to go to this guy, to one of his, his uh, healing outreaches, bring my uncle who was, could die any moment, so that he would pray for him. When my uncle got there, they refused to pray. What does that cost you? I'm not asking you to put him up on the stage and make a big show about it. All we're asking is, will you lay hands on him and pray for him? And he wouldn't do it. That's not a sheep. And that's not a shepherd. Show me one guy who went to Jesus and cried out to the Lord, Lord, pray for me. And Jesus said, no, go away. Too close to show time. Doesn't that show the heart? So when we look at this, we want to recognize, when we look at teachers and those whom we're going to follow, who we want to receive the word from, then we need to take a look at, at really, what's their message? Who are they glorifying? Paul says, if anyone's going to glory, let him glory in the Lord. He says, for not he who commends himself is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. That means, how does the Lord feel about your ministry? That's what matters. Not how does somebody else feel about your ministry. How does the Lord feel about your ministry? And you know, when you think about that, don't be too harsh on yourself. Don't forget that the Lord is our Father. There are a lot of times when I was a kid, I would bring some art form from school home to show my, my, my mom and dad. Now, I was never going to end up in a gallery famous for art. I know it's shocking to look at me and think, how can you not be an artist? But I don't know, but that's how it is. But what did my mom and dad do? Same thing your mom and dad did. They put it in some place of prominence. They put it up on the refrigerator. They talk about how great it was. Why? What were they valuing? The heart behind the work that was done. What does God value in you? It's all about the heart, brother. It's all about the heart, sister. What's in your heart? You want to bless the Lord by serving? Then God's going to be commending you and saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that what we want to hear?
He goes on to tell us in chapter 11, Oh, that you would bear with me with a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. He's saying, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit like these guys do. That's what Paul's doing. He's actually speaking in the Greek very sarcastically. And then he says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Now, godly jealousy, you look up how many times over and over in the Scripture, actually in the Old Testament, uh, a lot of times God describes the love that he has for his people as a jealous love. It's a love in action. It's a love that will not share you with anything else. That's good jealousy. We don't often walk in that kind of jealousy. We have a whole different twist on it. But godly jealousy, love in action that won't share your heart. God wants it all. Not just the peace. He wants everything. Paul says, now I, have, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul's explaining that he is the friend of the bride. The friend of the bride had an important role to play. That role was to watch over, he would, or the friend of the groom, excuse me, he would watch over the bride, make sure she was safe, and everything was square for wedding day. He would watch over her, protect her, make sure that she wasn't someplace that she shouldn't be, and she was, or he was, the defender of her honor. The friend, the friend of the groom, that's what he did. And the bride would be watched over. And then he would be able to say to his friend on that wedding day, here she is for you. Who's the bride? The Bible says the bride of Christ is the church. You and me. Presented to him as a chaste virgin. That means we're not sharing our heart with some other deity, some other God, some other thing that takes God's place in our life. That, that God is central. That when God moves, we want to be where he is. That we recognize and realize God has so much for us. But look at verse 3, he says, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Listen, we know that Christ is given to us as an example of the second Adam. And Eve, for us, the second Eve is the church. You remember what happened to the first Eve, right? She got deceived by the serpent. How did the serpent deceive her? What, did he come right out? Was he dressed like a wolf? He came to her and he said, Hath God really said? Isn't that how they deceive? Isn't that how Satan deceives? They begin to confuse your mind. What does the word really say? What is it that God's word really teaches? That's what Satan did to deceive Eve. And that's what these teachers were doing to deceive the church. Not... Staying grounded in God's word. I love the way that we teach. Because, folks, if you come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, in a few years, you will have heard every verse of the entire Bible. Expounded, exegeted. That we'll take a look at every... We don't dodge, not a one. Trust me, in Leviticus, there's a couple chapters I would have liked to skip. But we went through them. Why? Because Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. The whole counsel. Bible tells us one story. God's redemption of man. And the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God. So we want that word of God poured into our lives. This is what Paul's laying out for us. He's saying, listen, the, this, the Satan's going to come along. He's going to whisper these weird things in, in your ear. And he's going to take you away from the simplicity that is in Christ. And the next thing you know, they're going to tell you, no, you have to be baptized by our elders. Or you have to be baptized in this church or in this manner. Or you have to be a part of this church. What have I just done? I've taken the simplicity of Christ in the scripture which says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I've added to it. So that now you have to be saved by works of the flesh. I've placed you in bondage instead of setting you free. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what Paul wants us to see. He wants us to know, hey guys, it's simple. John 3.16 is still John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that 
whosoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. You would, cannot take that out of the Bible. Now you add anything else to what salvation is and you've disrupted that verse. But you see, people do it all the time. Folks, churches are filled with people who believe in, in some other gospel of following some other Jesus who were deceived because they got away from God's word as a foundation of truth and began to put the foundation of truth upon a man that was teaching. And the next thing you know, a cult is born. Paul says, I don't want you like the first Eve to be deceived. For... <clears throat> Verse 4, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He says you're not going to know because you're not staying chained, locked to the truth, the foundation of truth and the word of God. If anyone comes to you preaching any other Jesus, what does God's word teach that Jesus is? God's word teaches us that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. God manifest in the flesh, died for our sins, was raised again for our justification, sits at the right hand of the Father, always making intercession for us. He's not a created being. He's not an angel. He doesn't have a brother. He's a part of the Trinity. He's a part of the Godhead. Anybody, every single cult in ism, every single one, Messes with Jesus' divinity or his humanity. Every single one. Because, you see, we have a world today that tells us that truth is relative. That is the dumbest statement I ever heard anybody make. What do you mean truth is relative? You know, sometimes things are true and then other times they're not. Really? I wish it was like that when I was in school. And if, if truth had been relative when I was in school, I got an A on every test. I could have told a teacher, no, ma'am, you see, truth is relative, and today that's false. <laughs> but you see, that's how, they, that's how our, our nation, that's how the world is run. Truth is relative. Your truth is different than my truth. What is that? So I'm driving down the road, and I decide today, truth for me is a red light means go. How's that going to work out for me? Not very well. There is such a thing as absolute truth. God's word is absolutely true. Now, I don't like everything God's word says. I, I wish I could make it different. But it doesn't change it from being true. I don't have to like it. I just have to know it's true. What God's word says about Jesus Christ is True. God's word declares him to be God of very God. The earliest creed in the church declared that Jesus was God of very God. The Apostles' Creed. God of very God, man of very man. That's what God's word teaches. If anyone comes to you and, and teaches another Jesus, or how about a different spirit? Folks, we have that happen all the time. People will come through and talk about a move of the Spirit that's going through the church. Something that we've never heard of before. It's not found anywhere in the Scripture. You don't read about it in the Acts of the Apostles. You don't see it in the life of Jesus Christ or in the rest of the church. But they say, hey, we're preaching a new move of the Spirit. Really? Because Paul said if someone comes preaching you a different spirit, a spirit of bondage, say, in legalism, or perhaps they're teaching a, a, a move of the Spirit, an empowerment of the Spirit that has no value. What does the Spirit do when it works in your life? The Holy Spirit has one job, point to Jesus. That's it. Right? Now, there was this thing where people would pray in the church and their teeth fillings would be turned into gold. That was a move of the Spirit. Really? Because I don't see that anywhere in the Acts of the Apostles, in the life of Jesus Christ, as he ministered in the fullness of the Spirit, didn't he? You see, if anyone comes preaching any other spirit than what we find in God's Word, why? Because this is true. Because if we start to believe the movements that are out there, well, how do we know they're true or not? Because they make me feel warm and fuzzy? How's warm and fuzzy work for you if you use that as a basis of truth? A lot of things make me feel warm and fuzzy that aren't good for me. 
Listen, we want to use the word of God as that foundation of truth. Anyone preaches any other spirit than what you have received or a different gospel. Folks, the gospel is laid out first very neatly and tidy in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Any other Jesus, any other spirit, any other gospel or good news is a lie. That keeps it pretty simple. But Jack, you don't understand. He's my neighbors. They're, they're into this other thing. And, and you know, they're good people. Yeah, they're good people who are deceived. And that deception, what's the devil want to do when he deceives us? Just keep us in a, in a quiet little place all the way to hell. That's what he wants to do. What does Christ call the church to do? Hold up the truth. In Ephesians, he says it like this. Speak the truth in love. What do we know? How do we know the difference between speaking in love and not speaking in love? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, what does it make? A bunch of noise. So if all I'm doing is making a bunch of racket, then I'm not speaking with love. How do we find love? Romans 5.1 tells us the, the love of God is poured out in our heart. How? By the Holy Spirit. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? The empowerment of the Holy Spirit? We ask. We ask. God gives. We love. Speak the truth. Any other gospel, any other good news, any other spirit, any other Jesus is a lie. Period. Period. If you had a friend of yours who was blind... Blind as blind could be. And he's walking down a road that leads right up to the edge of the Snake River Canyon. And when he gets to the edge, he's just going to walk off. He's not going to stop. He knows that he's on the right road. What are you going to do for him? Are you just going to let him walk down the road? Are you just going to let him go until he falls off the edge into oblivion and say, well, I didn't want him to, to feel bad that he was going the wrong way? Or would you do everything you could to stop him? To tell him the truth. But you're on a road that leads to destruction, brother. I'm not telling you this because I somehow think I'm better than you. I'm telling you this because I'm telling you the truth. Armed with the truth of God's word. The only sure thing that we can hold on to. And where you're going, it doesn't lead to to a place... Or a new happy place. It leads to destruction. Paul said in in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If anyone preaches any other gospel. It's a lie. Any other Jesus. It's a lie. Any other spirit. It's a lie. Stay grounded to the word of God. For I consider he says in verse 5. That I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. In the Greek, you miss out on it. He says, I am not in the least inferior to those super-duper apostles. He's talking about those false teachers who talk about how important they are. He says, I'm not less than them just because I don't exalt myself. He goes on, even though I am untrained in speech, what are the weapons of our warfare? Are they carnal? Is it all about my fleshly abilities or is it about the message? That's what Paul's saying. I'm untrained in speech. I, these guys are, can t- tell stories better than me. They can talk better than me. They can, they can say it, use bigger words, all that stuff. Yet I am not in knowledge, that knowledge, gnosko, the knowledge, personal knowledge, knowing God. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. You see, we live it out. We don't just say the words. There was a party one time, and at this party, there was a lot of people, some poor some really wealthy. In fact, one of them was an actor. And they got to doing this thing as they went around, you know, each guy kind of showing off their abilities. And this actor, he stood up and he, and he spoke the 23rd Psalm in, this, in his best acting voice. And the people, when he were, was done, they stand up and give him a, a round of applause. And they're just blown away at the ability he had to say the 23rd Psalm. A few minutes later, some poor guy down on the end, he stands up and stammers his way through the 23rd Psalm. Not a soul claps for him. But after it was all said and done, the actor walked up to him and said, 
I know the 23rd Psalm, but you know the shepherd. There's a difference between the reality of God's Word living inside of us and the ability to speak well and to entertain. And that's what Paul's talking about. Guys, what's really important? Did I commit sin in verse 7 in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God free of charge? Listen, the Greek mindset was if you had calluses on your hands, you were lowly because you work. If you were intelligent and someone to really be appreciated, you wouldn't have calluses and you wouldn't work and other people would pay you just to hear you speak. Paul, he didn't take money in the churches that he was founding. He was supported by the other churches so that he could do that work. So that he could be there free of charge, doing whatever he needed to do to establish that church. But these other guys, they're coming in talking about, well, if Paul didn't, you get what you pay for. You ever heard that? That's not always true. The greatest gift I ever received in my life was lock, stock, and barrel free. And I received that from my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when he saved me. Didn't cost me a dime. Best thing I've ever received in my life. But that's what they were saying. Paul says in verse 8, you see, I, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I wasn't a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren from Macedonia supplied. In everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. So I will keep myself as the truth of Christ is in me. No one will stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Paul says, I'm not going to change what I do because these guys say I should be getting paid. And if I'm not getting paid, you get what you pay for. Paul says, that's not true. And I don't care what they say. This is what God's called me to do. It's what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to minister. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to share the truth. And I don't care what I get for it. I'm going to share the truth. These other guys, they wouldn't spend five minutes in the pulpit if they weren't getting paid. Paul says, not about getting paid. I don't care. I could not keep silent. Jeremiah said, I didn't want to talk. I was done. I was tired of all the complaints and all the things that people would say. So I said, I'm not saying another word. I'm done preaching. I'm going to go be just a regular guy. I'm going to go be a shepherd again. And then the very next verse, Jeremiah says, but my bones burned inside of me and I could not keep silent. Why? Because he's called to preach. And if he's called to preach, you cannot stop him. You cannot put that fire out. It'll burn. It wants to be let out. It wants to be exercised. And this is what Paul is trying to tell them. Then he says in verse 11, why do I do this? Because I don't love you? God knows. He's saying, listen, it's not because I don't love you. They, they had this twisted idea. That if you were really good and you're the real deal, then you cost a lot of money. Let me tell you something. It's, a lot of people still, still think that same way today. In fact, there was a time at Joshua Springs when I was doing youth ministry, we brought in this band, big name band, tons of money. Woohoo! These guys are going to be incredible. They're terrible, man. Their hearts stunk. I couldn't even listen to them. It was... They actually must have been reading their press because they just thought they had it all, man. I mean, they were everything. Woo-hoo, oh, we're so neat. Man, just worse ever. I never bought another album of theirs. Terrible. I don't even think they're making albums now. So it just goes to show that they didn't have, they just didn't have it. For a time, though, they were it. And then I get a, another guy comes to me and says, hey, you know who you need to call and have him come out and, and minister to your kids? This young guy, his name's Jeremy Camp. Anybody ever heard of him? This young guy, Jeremy Camp. So I call him. You know who I talk to? Jeremy. Hey, Jeremy, what do you think about coming out and ministering to our kids? Yeah, man, that'd be a blessing. You know, and he, he wanted to know what the kids were like and, and how their hearts were and how many kids that we thought were going to be there that were unsaved. And, and, and so he could preach the word and teach. And he cost like a fourth of what them other guys did. And he was not even worried about it. To him, the most important thing was... To share the heart 
of what God put inside of him. And I promise you, if Jeremy stopped making records tomorrow, he'd still be doing it. He'd still be going around doing the same thing. Because he's real. That's what Paul says. And it had nothing to do with the money. It has everything to do with the message, the reality of what's inside. But what I do in verse 12, I also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. These false, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. That's the saddest verse in the Bible when I read it. And I think about the people that I know and care for who put their eternal security in the hands of a man who says he got a new gospel about a new Jesus and a new spirit from an angel of light. Man, if you, if you use the word of God and say this is truth, how can I ever fall for that? I can't. This is what Paul says. Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And how can we know the truth? Because it lines up with God's word. Lines up with God's word. You know, the word of God is pretty amazing. 66 books penned by 40 authors over 1,500 years, written on three different continents, in four different languages, in one common message, God's redemption of man. There's no other book like it on the face of the earth. No other book has hated, yet still exists. Still here. They can't get rid of it. Voltaire one time said, before I die, the word of God will be wiped out from all of Europe. Now today it almost is, but at the time of Voltaire it wasn't. And when Voltaire died, the United Bible Society bought his house and they print Bibles in his house. The Word of God is true. It's living, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, it's no small thing if His ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. What is their works all about? Deceiving, deception. The Lord says they're going to get what they deserve. The problem is how many people would they deceive along the way? If you don't hold on to the truth, you can be fooled to believe anything. Right? Y'all remember Jim Jones? He had this church, you know. In the beginning, they actually taught out of the word. Pretty soon, the word went away. Next thing you know, Jim Jones had all kind of authority, and he was actually doing beatings for people who were not keeping the law, quote-unquote, that he had given to his congregation. They'd come up front and receive a public flogging. That wasn't all that long ago. Then they all decided that they were going to go away and start their own little paradise. Remember how that worked out? What does the devil want to do? Destroy. What did he do to all those people he deceived? He destroyed every single one. Because they did not hold fast to the truth of God's word. He goes on and tells us this. Now I say again, let no one think me a fool, if otherwise at least receive me as a fool, though I may boast a little. For when I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly, in this confidence of boasting. I'm going to talk like these guys talk. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I'll also boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are so wise. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, or if one devours you, or if one takes from you, or if one exalts himself, or if one strikes you on the face. And that's almost the exact same journey Jim Jones took with his people. The scary thing is, there are other churches doing the same thing today. Still doing those same kind of things. To our shame, I say, if we're too weak for that, for in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I'm bold also. 
He says, listen, let me tell you. I'm going to give you my credentials. And these are how we know the true credentials. A true credential of a minister of God is not what can I get, but what can I give. It's not what will you do for me. It's how much will I endure for you. That's what Paul says. He says, am I a Hebrew? Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. What were they saying? They were saying, we're ministers in Christ. I can't stand it when a minister wants the best park and place at church. I can't stand it. You will always find my truck in the same place. And if I can figure out where there's a further parking place away that I'm willing to walk from, I'll do that. Why will I do that? Because that's how I was trained. That's the way the pastor trained me. He said, you're not here to have the best or have people serve you. You're here to be a servant. A diakonos, to be a minister. It means slave. It's not a fancy word for having the best parking place and have everybody exalt you and think how wonderful you are and special you are. That's not what it is. And if the congregation wants to to bleed you dry and suck the very life out of you, so be it. That's what you're there for, for crying in a bucket. (laughs) What's the point of all of that? Listen, if we are empowered by the Spirit of God, does the Spirit of God run out of juice? No. Dead giveaway that we're being empowered by our flesh, we run out of juice. Dead giveaway that we're not, Man, I got endless energy to come and to serve because that's what God's called me to do. Paul says, hey, these guys, they think you should serve them. They think that they exist. They exist so that the people can serve them. But the reality is they exist so that they can serve the people. So that they can answer their questions. So that they can spend one-on-one time and build relationships. So they, they can pour the Spirit of the Lord that's been poured in them in someone else. That's how I got here. Because some guy somewhere down the line pulled me aside and began to pour the Spirit of the Lord that was in him in me. And that's what we're supposed to do. Pouring ourselves out as a drink offering before the Lord. Well, here is his qualifications. He says, in labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In death, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. By the way, the whole concept of 39 stripes is a Jewish concept. You can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 25 in the Old Testament. The Roman concept was beat them till they confess. So when you think about the, the, the flagellum that Jesus bore upon his back and the beating that he took, it was not 39 lashes. That's a Jewish system. Who killed him? Who, who, who beat him? Romans. How did they do it? They beat him till he confessed. But here, Paul says, listen, five times I got beat by the Jews, 39 lashes across his back. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's by the Romans. They just beat you till you confess. What happens if you don't confess? As a lamb before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That's what the book of Isaiah says about Christ. They beat him till they couldn't lift their arms anymore. And he bore it all. For who? For us. For us. Because he loved us. Paul saying the same thing. He says, once I was stoned. That was in Lystra. He was stoned and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a night and a day I have been in the deep. Anybody ever been in the water for a day and a night? Imagine such a thing. It doesn't sound very good to me. When I go to the beach. When we used to be the, live in California. In the, in the wasteland of California. Now we're in the promised land of Idaho. But back then, when we were in the wasteland of California, and you get out there in the ocean, and you're sitting out there in the waves, and every once in a while, a dolphin comes through the waves. What do you think it is? Do you care that it doesn't have the other fin? You just see that fin come up, and you go, Woohoo, I'm out of here. You scream and holler, your, your heart just beats really fast. And by the time you get knee deep, you realize that was, that was a dolphin. It's okay. But I think I'll get out and eat lunch anyway. 
Paul, a night in the, and, a, and a day in the deep, not able to touch, just floating, hoping for rescue. The, the book of Acts tells us 18 different times he was on a ship. Paul says three of those times a ship wrecked. He goes on to say, uh, uh, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. He says, I endure, I endure discomfort. I endure all this hardship. Why? Because the message that I bring to you is the truth. And I am empowered by the Spirit of God to do so. And these other guys who are teaching you, if they get a hangnail, they don't want to show up. If they're not going to have three cases of water available while they speak, they're not going to come because you haven't met their needs. Paul says, man, I'll just, I'll tread water for a day and a night just for the opportunity. Just for the opportunity to share the truth. He says, in weariness and toils and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fasting often, in cold and nakedness, and beside all these other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. In the Greek, they could not use a stronger word for the crushing, pressing power that he felt in his soul, the desire to reach out to people who were lost and dying. That's why he says, my deep concern for all the churches. There's no stronger word in the Greek language than what he uses there. Man, this, this, that burden never leaves. He's saying it's not just physical, it's emotional. I don't just go through physical hardship, I go through emotional hardship. I go through all these things. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm speaking foolishly like these other guys, only they tell you how wonderful they are. And Paul says, here's a true credential. What are you willing to suffer for Christ? We need to ask ourselves that. Remember that friend of ours who's, who's walking blind to the, to the very edge of the Snake River Canyon and nobody's talking to him? He's just going to walk off the edge? What are you willing to suffer to tell him the truth? If he never wants to talk to you again, is it worth it? Man, I, I, when I was, gosh, I don't know, early, early 20s, just trying to figure out what this whole walk with the Lord was all about. My grandma and grandpa were still alive. They're older. Grandma come to church with us, but I was never really sure where she stood with the Lord. And I was more afraid of what she would think of me by what I said, if she, if what she would think about me. I was more afraid of all that than anything else. So I never told her. Now she's dead and gone. The only way I'm going to know where she is at is when I get to heaven. You want those regrets? Do you really want to carry those burdens around? I would rather be like Paul and say, man, I'd be beaten 39 lashes three times and five times by rods just for an opportunity to tell my grandma right now what she needed to know then. be shipwrecked however many times it took. I'd do anything to have that chance back. But you know you don't get that chance back, right? It's just gone. But there's another one right around the corner. Because not only is that friend of yours walking toward the edge of the Snake River Canyon, but thousands of people are right beside him. And right now, moment by moment, they're passing into eternity without Jesus Christ. Paul said, these other guys, they won't go talk to them unless you pay them. He said, but I'll take a beating for the opportunity. But those guys, those are the ones you're listening to. And they ought to be the ones you're shutting off. And holding fast to the truth of what God's word says. Paul says this. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to stubble and I don't burn with indignation? 
Paul says every single person that falls off that cliff into oblivion breaks my heart. And if I truly believe, if I truly believe that Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, like I say I do, how can I just let it happen? Folks, we can't do nothing to save them. We can't. Who saves people? Not me. Jesus Christ saves them. What does he call us to do? Just one thing. He only calls us to do one thing. He doesn't call us to save them. He doesn't call us to have a better argument than everybody else so that we can argue them into the kingdom. By the way, that never works. He calls us to do one thing. Tell them the truth. One thing. Tell them the truth. Last night, <clears throat> Joe was having a bad day yesterday. He's a little cranky. He ended up getting a whooping, which is a drag. It's a drag for every dad to do, to do a whooping. We do it. I, our, my kids think I like it. Cole's smirking right now. He says he liked it when he was beating me. <laughs> but he, he got a whooping and what have you. But later on, when he's in bed, I always go back. And I go back in there and I open up a door. And Joe will say to me, Dad, I'm sorry. And I'll say to him, Joe, I love you. And he said, I love you too. Now, we might have said a lot of other things when the whooping was happening. He, Joe's not telling me he loves me when that happens. Usually he says something like, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, or something like that. But I want to go back and make sure he knows the truth. And I don't care what you put in front of his door. I don't care what you say that, if, Jackie, if you go in there, he's going to think this of you or he's going to think less of you or he's going to, I don't care about none of that. I just want to know when I go to bed, my boy knows I love him. That's all that matters. We want to have that kind of heart for the lost. I want them to know, even if they're going to hate me the rest of their life, they're going to think I'm a jerk or I'm this or I'm that, but all I know all I know is one time out of however many times you have what happened to Nikki Six. You have what happened to, 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 to I'm sorry, Nikki Cruz. Nikki Six, I don't think he's saved yet. Um, Nikki, Nikki Cruz, who, who's in a gang that's standing out on the street corner. A fellow comes up to him. Yeah, he's going to cut his throat and kill him. And he says, well, you can cut me, kill me, whatever you want to do. But every piece will cry out to you, I love you. Because Jesus Christ has given me that kind of love for you. And he got saved. That day... From cutting people's throats to getting saved. Because one guy didn't care what he thought of them. He just shared the truth. That's what Paul's saying here. I don't care what I have to go through. I'm going to do anything. In verse 30 he says, If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. I'm not going to talk about what a great, how many people got saved in my ministry, Paul says. I don't care about none of that. I'm going to boast about how God gave me the strength to do all these things. Face all these things. It all came from him. I'm going to boast in my infirmity, my weakness. Because what? When God says, when you are weak, what? I am strong. You feel weak? Good then God is strong in your life. I feel too weak to share. Good. Then that means God will be sharing. If you feel like I know everything, maybe you shouldn't share. Be quiet. Study more until you figure out that you don't know everything. And then you're ready. That's what happens at Bible college, by the way. First semester of Bible college, you're sure you know everything. By the end, you realize, I don't know anything at all. And then they said, good, now go. <laughs> Scary place to be. But anyway, Scripture finishes up to, uh, this morning. Look what he says. The, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aratus, the king, was guarding the city of, Dama of the Damascenes uh, with a garrison, <clears throat> desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. And people look at that and they go, What? Why did Paul say that? What's that got to do with anything? This is why Paul said that. Listen, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Saul went to Damascus. Paul came out. 
Paul went into Damascus thinking, I got all the answers and I'm ready. And he got there, you know, it was the very first thing he ever did in ministry. And he starts facing all this stuff coming at him. And he's, he's not really sure about it, but he, he knows, hey, I, I'm a smart guy. I studied under Gamaliel. I got all these things going for me. But you know how he got out of the city? You know how he escaped? They put him in the garbage. That's how he got out of the city. He, he talks about being let down in a basket. We can romanticize that. Picture it like this. They were coming to get you, and a garbage truck was coming by, and somebody threw you in the top of the garbage truck, and when the garbage truck got outside of the city, you climbed outside of the garbage when they dumped you in the dump, and you were able to go from there. Paul went into Damascus, Saul. Saul means exalted. He came out of Damascus, Paul. Paul means little. Went from thinking he was all that to realizing I'm not all that, but with the Lord, I can do all things. Amen? We have an opportunity this morning to, to have communion. And as we gather together and as we think about some of the things that God's been laying on our hearts, I want to encourage you. I want you to encourage you that that even if, like me, you have regrets in life of times that you didn't stand up and do what you ought to have done, the psalmist says, God's mercies are new every morning. Tomorrow morning, I get a new day. I might have messed up yesterday, but I got a chance with this one. And the cool thing is, he does it every day like that. Every day we get another opportunity. Oh man, I wasn't bold. I should have been bold. God was telling me to say something to this guy. I didn't say anything to him. Ugh. Well, two points, two little, little things of good news. One, you're not the only warrior that the Lord has that he's using. Two, God's not done with you yet. He's not done. God's looking for men and women here in Buell who are willing to stand up and lead the charge to a revival in these last days that God wants to pour out upon our nation. But it will require men and women who are willing to stand up and be flogged for Jesus Christ rather than being afraid of what man's going to think or what man's going to do. But when we give the truth of Jesus Christ, make sure the truth of Jesus Christ doesn't taste like a rubber hose. Needs to taste like him, not like me. I don't need to give away pieces of myself or additions. God's word can do it all on his own. The word of God is not void. When we send the word of God out, it always accomplishes what it was sent to do. Stories I tell, they go out, maybe they have an impact, maybe they don't. They don't have anything lasting. The word of God is lasting. That's what we're to give out. That's what we're to bring people to Jesus with. Amen? As we prepare our hearts, I'm going to have the the worship team go ahead and come on up. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, as we consider all that God wants to do and move and, and work in our lives, we have an opportunity to remember in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ what He was willing to do for me. And... And I, for years and years and years, guys, for years and years, I, would, I, was, I was a better top-secret Christian than I ever was one out in front. But, but I could never accomplish anything that way. I had to realize, whether I said something or didn't, the factor that, that encourages me to move forward is, I don't want to disappoint The one who gave it all for me. I used to think more about the other person and what they're going to think. Now I think, what will Jesus think if I don't? What am I saying to my Lord if I won't say a word? What are my actions speaking? So we have... Within the fellowship, communion. Communion is that opportunity for us to remember what Jesus did for us, right? His body broken. His blood shed. And then Jesus is the one who said, do this 
as often as you gather in remembrance of me. Do this. Remember me. Because that's what encourages us to be the men and women of God he's calling us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we ask that you would prepare our hearts, Father, for this time of communion. God, that you would quiet uh, and just bring that stillness, Lord Jesus. And Father, as, uh, as communion is prepared and as communion is passed, Lord, we just ask, God, that, that you would begin to work, mold, speak to us, Father. And let us realize, God, that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That word of condemnation doesn't come from him. The word of encouragement comes from him. Do better next time. The word of condemnation comes from the enemy. And I know that he is a wolf because I've seen what he eats. I'm not going to listen to him. I'm going to listen to the truth of your word. So, Lord, I pray, God, you would move in our hearts. Stir us to action as we prepare our hearts at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.